0: Chapter fourteen of Captain Antiphor by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Dinoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter fourteen It was fortunate that our three Europeans had come to Sohar on business and not on pleasure. The town is not worth a tourist's attention, and the visit is not worth the voyage. The streets are clean enough, the squares are sunny enough. There is a watercourse that just about supplies the wands of the few thousand inhabitants when their throats are parched by the ardour of the dog days there are a few houses scattered about which are lighted from an interior court in the oriental way there is a good-sized building of no particular style with which the sultan has to content himself when he takes his two or three weeks holiday in the north of his kingdom however unimportant it may be so hard nonetheless exists on the shore of the gulf of oman and the best proof that can be given of this is that its geographical position had been determined, with all the desirable precision. It is in longitude 54 degrees, 29 minutes east, and in latitude 24 degrees, 37 minutes north. Hence, according to the information given by Kamalik Pasha, the island had to be sought for in 28 minutes of arc to the east and 22 to the north of Sohar. Hotels are not numerous at Sohar. There was only a sort of caravanserai in which a few rooms, or rather cells, arranged in a circle are each furnished with a bed, and there it was that the interpreter Salik, always so useful, took Captain Antifer and his two companions. It need hardly be said that, fatigued by their day's journey, Jewel and Tregermaine's only wish was for a good supper and twelve hours sleep to follow. But it was not easy to get Antifer to join them, reasonable as the suggestion might be. More and more excited by his near approach to his island, he would hear of no delay, but wished to charter a boat at once. To rest when he had but a stride to take, a stride of a dozen leagues it is true, to put his foot on his corner of the globe where Kamalik had buried his barrels. There was an exciting scene before he had calmed down sufficiently to agree to take a few precautions. Too much haste would make the Sahar police suspicious. The treasure was not likely to be stolen during the next twenty-four hours. Would it were, said Tregomaine. My poor friend would go mad if it is not there, and if it is there. And these fears were in a certain measure justified. But if Captain Antifer, deceived in his hopes, was in danger of going mad, a similar deception might affect Sa'uk as to produce no less terrible consequences. The false Nazim might indulge in excesses of violence from which Ben Omar would not escape without damage. His impatience was as feverish as that of Antifer and it may be safely affirmed that there were at least two travelers that night who knew no sleep in the cells of the caravanserai. They were advancing toward the same object by different roads. One was waiting for daylight to find a boat. The other was thinking of securing a score of resolute scoundrels, who, for a good price, could be hired to carry off the treasure during the return from Samar. Day came at last, this memorable day, the 28th of March. To take advantage of Sleek's offers was evidently the best thing to do, and to Jewel it fell to make the best terms he could with this obliging Arab, who, more suspicious than ever, had passed the night in the court of the Caravanserai. Jewel was in some difficulty in explaining his wants to Sleek. Here were three strangers, three Europeans, who had arrived the night before, and were in a hurry to obtain a boat. What they wanted was a sail. What other pretext could be given? A sail in the Gulf of Oman, which would at least last twenty-four hours. Was not that a curious arrangement? And even more than curious. Perhaps Joel was mistaken in his surmises as to what the interpreter would think of it. Anyhow, the difficulty had to be faced, and as soon as he met the Arab, Joel asked him to find him a boat that could remain at sea for a couple of days. Are you going to cross the Gulf, asked Salik, and land on the Persian coast? An idea occurred to Jewel to elude this question by a very natural reply, which might allay any suspicion, even on the part of the authorities of Sohar. No, he said, it is a geographical exploration. We want to determine the position of the principal islands in the Gulf. There are a few off Sohar, are there not? Yes, there are a few, said Salik, but they are none of any importance. It does not matter, said Jewel. Before we establish ourselves on the coast, we wish to visit the Gulf. As you please. Salik said no more, although the young captain's reply seemed suspicious. He was aware of what had been told the French agent with regard to the establishment of a branch office in one of the coast towns, and he might well think that this hardly agreed with an exploration of the Gulf of Oman, And consequently, Antifer and his companions were more seriously suspected than ever, and were more strictly watched. A regrettable complication this, which rendered the success of the operation very problematical. If the treasure were found on the island his highness would probably be immediately informed of it, and his highness, who was as unscrupulous as he was powerful, might make away with Kamalik's legatee to save any future claim. Sleek undertook to find the boat required for the exploration of the gulf, and promised that it should be manned by a crew who could be thoroughly trusted. Provisions would have to be taken for two or three days, during the uncertain equinoctial weather. Preparations were necessary for delays which, if not probable, were at least possible. Jewel thanked the interpreter and assured him that his services would be handsomely rewarded. Salit appeared most grateful for the promise, and added, Perhaps it would be better for me to accompany you during this excursion. In your ignorance of Arabic, you might have some difficulty in dealing with the captain of the boat and his men. You are right, replied Jule. Remain in our service while we are at Sohar, and, I repeat, you will not waste your time. They separated. Jule went to rejoin his uncle, who was walking on the beach with Tregomain and reported what he had done. The bargeman was delighted to have as a guide and interpreter the young Arab, whom he considered not without reason to have such a very intelligent face. Captain Antifer signified his approval by a mere nod of the head. Then he suddenly observed, And this vessel? Our interpreter is seeing about it, and also about the provisions. It seems to me that one of these boats in the harbour might be got ready in an hour or two. We're not going for a trip around the world. No, my friend, replied the bargeman but we must give the people a little time. Do not be so impatient. Pray. And if I choose to be impatient, what then? retorted Antifer with a furious look at Tregomain. Then be impatient, said the worthy bargeman with a differential bow. However, the day was getting on, and Joel had heard no more of the Arab. It can easily be imagined how Captain Antifer's irritation increased. Already he began to talk of sending Selik to the bottom of the gulf. In vain, Joel tried to defend him. As to Tregomaine, he was told to shut up as soon as he began to praise Salik's intelligence. "'A beggar,' shouted Antifer. "'A rascal, your interpreter. A scoundrel in whom I have no confidence, and who has only one idea—to rob us of our money.' "'I have given him none, Uncle.' "'Then you ought to have done so. If you had given him something good on account, you would have said he wanted to rob us.' "'It does not matter.' Neither Jewel nor Tregomain attempted to combat these contradictory ideas. The best thing to do was to keep Antifer quiet, and prevent him from committing some imprudence, which would give rise to suspicions. Would they succeed with a man who would listen to nothing? Were there no fishing boats in the harbour? Would it not be enough to take one, to agree with the crew, and to go on board, to set sail, and to steer to the northeast? And how can we understand these people, said Jewel, seeing that we do not understand a word of Arabic? that they do not know a word of French, added the bargeman. Why don't they know it, retorted Antifer furiously. They are in the wrong, quite in the wrong, replied Trugamane, anxious to appease his friend by this concession. It is all your fault, Jewel. No, uncle, I have acted for the best, and our interpreter will soon come back. After all, if you don't trust him, why not make use of Ben Omar and his clerk, who speak Arabic? And they are on the key. Never. That would be too much. It is already too much to have them always in tow. Ben Omar seems to wish to speak to us, said Tregomain. Let him do it, and I'll give him a broadside that will sink him. In fact, Sa'uk and the notary were maneuvering in Antifa's wake. When it left the caravan they had followed him. Their duty was to keep him in sight. Their right was to be present at the conclusion of this financial enterprise, which threatened to develop into a drama. Souk was urging Ben Omar to enter into conversation with the terrible Antifa. But the notary did not care to face him in his present state of fury. Oak would have willingly assumed the place of the cowardly notary, and was sorry to have feigned ignorance of the language, which prevented his intervening directly in the matter. Joe could not but see that his uncle's treatment of Ben Omar made things worse. Once more he tried to make him understand this. The occasion seemed to be favorable, as the notary had evidently come to say something to him. Listen to me, uncle, whether you are angry or not. Let us reason a little, as we are reasonable beings. It remains to be seen, Jewel, if what you understand by reason is not unreason. What is it you want? To ask if, now we are nearing the end, you still persist in not recognizing Ben Omar. Certainly, I persist. The scoundrel tried to steal my secret when his duty was to hand me over his. He is a rascal. I know that, and I do not wish to defend him. But whether or no his presence is imposed on you by the clause in the will of Kamalik Pasha, yes. Has he not to be on the island when you dig up the three casks? Yes. And is he not the right to value them by the very fact that he is entitled to a commission of so much per cent on their value? Yes. Well, if he has to be present at the operation, ought he not to know where we are going and what we're going to do? Yes. And if by your fault or any other circumstance he is not able to assist his executor, might not the succession be contested? And would that be a matter for a lawsuit which you would certainly lose? Yes. Then have you to submit in the company of Ben Omar during your excursion in the Gulf? Yes. Will you then tell him that he is to get ready to go with you? No, replied Antifer. And the word no was uttered in so formidable a voice that it struck the notary full in the chest like a bullet. You see, said Tregomaine, you will not listen to reason, and you are wrong. Why do you struggle against wind and tide? Nothing could be more sensible than to listen to Jewel. nothing more reasonable than to follow his advice. Ben Omar is no more to me than he is to you, but do not lose your head about him. It was rare for Tregemin to indulge in so long a monologue, and still rarer for his friend to let him finish. Have you finished? asked Captain Antifer. Yes, replied Tregemin, giving a glance of triumph at Jewel. And you too, Jewel? Yes, uncle. Well, then you can both go to Jericho. You can talk to the notary if you like. As for me, I will not have a word to say to the rascal. You can do just as you please. And thereupon he swore a terrible oath, put up his helm, and ran off before the wind. Nevertheless, Joel got what he wanted. His uncle, seeing that he was compelled to do so, had not forbidden him to let the notary know his intentions. And as Ben Omar, urged on by Saouk, approached with more courage now that Antifa had gone, only a few words were required. Sir, said Ben Omar, bowing low to atone by the humility of his attitude and for the audacity of his proceedings, will you pardon me if I permit myself? Come to the point, said Jewel. What do you want? To know if we are at the end of our journey. Almost. Where is the island we are in search of? About twelve leagues off Sahar." What, exclaimed Ben Omar. Must we go on the sea again? Apparently that does not seem to suit you, said the bargeman, taking pity on the poor man, who was almost fainting, as if his heart was already failing him. So looked on, affecting the most complete indifference, the indifference of one who did not understand a word of the language. Cheer up, said Tregevain. Two or three days at sea will soon be over. You may get your sea legs at last, with a little practice. The notary shook his head and wiped his forehead, which was wet with cold perspiration. Then, in a mournful voice, he said, And where do you start from? From here. When? As soon as our boat is ready. And when will that be? This evening, perhaps, or certainly tomorrow morning. you had better be ready to start with your clerk, Nazim, if you cannot do without him. I will, I will, replied Ben Omar. And may Allah help you, added the bargeman, giving free vent to his natural kindness in the absence of Captain Antifer. Ben Omar and Souk had nothing more to learn except the position of the famous island. But as the young captain had not given it to them, they retired. When Jules said that the boat would be ready that evening or the next morning, was he not rather premature? So Tregomain remarked. In fact, it was three o'clock in the afternoon and there was no sign of the interpreter. Jules and Tregomain were getting anxious. If they had to dispense with his services, what difficulty there would be in dealing with the Sohar fishermen and having to make themselves understood by gestures. How could they manage in such a manner with regard to the cargo, the object of the expedition, the direction in which they were to go? As a last resource, it is true, Ben Omar and Nazim knew Arabic, but to call on their assistance was hardly desirable. Fortunately, Salik kept his promise. About five o'clock, as the bargeman and Jewel were returning to the caravan Sarai, he appeared on the scene. At last, exclaimed Jewel. Salik apologized for the delay. It was not without difficulty that he found a boat. We had to promise high terms for it. "'It does not matter,' said Jewel. "'Can we go to sea this evening?' "'No,' said Salik. "'The crew will not be complete until too late.' "'Then we start... "'At daybreak.' "'Agreed.' "'I will come for you to the caravan Sarai,' added Salik. "'And we will go out with the tide.' "'And if the breeze lasts, "'we shall make a good course of it,' said Jurgamane. "'A good course, indeed, "'for the wind was blowing from the west.' and it was in the east that Captain Antifer had to look for his island. End of chapter 14